It is Wednesday, February 22nd, and you are listening to Run That Back. I am Scott Bunn, and you are listening to Indie Sports Radio. I'm manning the board solo this evening, so it's going to be quite an adventure. Uh, speaking of adventures, we've got Justin McGuire, who will be calling in a little bit later. Uh, he's a reporter with the Mountain Express. He's also an avid baseball fan and scribe. Uh, he covers baseball in, in all walks of his personal life. So he'll be calling in. Uh, we'll be talking specifically about uh, the history of McCormick Field and then... Uh, keep going with our ongoing series about the future of McCormick Field uh, as he's been covering that for the Mountain Express. All right. So uh, my partner in crime, Tom Chalmers, he's usually the one that says, and I'm Tom Chalmers, and you're listening to Indie Sports Radio. Tom is on assignment this evening, but uh, we've been able to wrestle him away from the arms of the good people of Asheville to call in. Uh, Tom, are you there? I am here. You were able to wrestle Westwick me away uh, from <laughs> my other obligation tonight. Uh, you're also the king of puns. Uh, as I think I told you when we got together this weekend, you you sent four different puns throughout the the week that made me uh, make me laugh. So thank you for that, Tom. So uh, what's on I'm, your mind? I'm glad you enjoy them. That's all I have to give. I feel like I'm like the winter warlock with just these few little corns that I have to offer that make reindeer fly um, uh, yeah so, uh, it's valuable so i couldn't miss a chance at least to talk for uh 12 to 14 minutes about where we are now in sports and yeah so uh football is officially over yes it is it's a it's a long cold winter it's actually been kind of seasonably warm the last couple of weeks yes. but yeah uh it's funny because you know we were talking last week maybe not on the mics you know, just sort of a depression for me with the Bills season being over and everything. And then suddenly I'm like, uh, you know, I, I can I can do other things. I, I don't I don't need football to fill this void that's in my soul. You know, do you have similar feelings, Tom? Well, I would just say you keep telling yourself that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, you're all brave a week out. Let's see how a month or two out. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> We should get I'm some... watching cornhole. Yes. Um, <laughs> we should get uh, some kind of gauge. Yeah. Right. Uh, I would say I know you don't necessarily want to spend any time celebrating the Kansas City Chiefs, but as stories uh, reach podcasts and otherwise from the Super Bowl and things, uh, it seems like they're mostly nice people. You know, it really does seem like Patrick Mahomes is like a really good guy when it comes in the locker room and, you know, finds the running back who finally got his uh, touchdown in the Super Bowl and like hugs him. And yeah, it's like, it, so there's mostly nice stories coming out and not like, uh, that, that's who we have to celebrate. <laughs> right. uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'll just say Josh Allen is that nice of a guy. So I would like to him to have the opportunity to be celebrating Naheen Hines or something like that. Yes. Uh, and also, so, uh, not something I do, but already showing that, like, yeah, football is over. Uh, and I have streaming packages. They were playing kind of like, you know, greatest games of the season. And they sort of played back to back the Chiefs losing to the Bengals and then the Chiefs losing to the Bills, which is you forget they're like that's right regular season yeah they did not come out on top, um, but there's something about playoffs and otherwise that make them just be that that much better and uh, uh, but yeah you forget yeah I mean they you know like 
Bills and Bengals both beat the Chiefs. Yeah, um, we did. We beat the Chiefs and we, like I'm on the team, beat yes. the Chiefs in the regular season last year. So the last two years, we're 2-1 and one against the Chiefs, except in the playoffs where we had the one loss which, and it was catastrophic. Again, again, things you don't want to hear, but makes the Chiefs more interesting and slightly endearing. It's not like they're this machine that just like wins every game, like dominates the regular season, dominates. It's like, no, they're, they're vulnerable. They're clearly not the uh, hands-down best team in the league. But for whatever reason... Uh, referees, no, I'm kidding. I don't believe in any of that referee stuff. But um, for whatever reason, they did just a little bit more than all the other really good teams. So, um, so yes, now that the NFL is gone, um, what have you turned to over the last week? Well, this last week, there was, it was the NBA All-Star Game and mm-hmm. all that comes with it, which is interestingly, as everybody has been pointing out, you know, like this is not the second half of the season. There's actually only 24 to 25 games right. left, but it's very interesting that the NBA waits for the uh, football season to clearly be over before they do their All-Star Game. They do not want to go up against the NFL, which I thought was interesting. But uh, but that whole weekend, uh, which people have such strong and angry opinions about for, I think, no reason, um, was uh, pretty interesting. I enjoyed... Uh, uh, Damian Lillard winning the three-point contest. Um, that was awesome with him needing to, like, do well on his last, like, rack of balls. <laughs> um, uh, and, you know, needed to hit the last one to sort of, uh, you know, uh, beat the previous guy. Um, uh, so that continues to be entertaining. And then there was the story of Mac McClung has saved the dunk competition. Oh, uh, yeah. So Mac McClung is this G League player for the Sixers who was like, I don't think has really played this season yet. But uh, however he got into the dunk competition, he was very entertaining. Uh, we've talked before, I like to root for versions of myself. So like uh, a shorter guy with sort of choppy blonde, brown hair. I'm like, yay, he's a celebrated athlete. Um, so hooray, yeah. Uh, so I don't know if he saved it. I think he showed it that it is uh, in need of saving when a G League player can make it interesting again. Yeah, but the, the I thought that him, was which, a stretch. Yeah. Uh, the thing for him was uh, he did really pretty good dunks, a couple really quite good ones, but pretty good. But he got him on the first time. Yeah. Because he's clearly he's done these dunks a ton because he's a YouTube star and that's how you sort of earn your place in the G League and otherwise. But that was the thing for me. It was like, yeah, he was good, but also he did it the first time. Yeah. We didn't watch him do it nine times. We were like, ugh, sorry, ugh. Let me, one more time, ugh. Uh, he did it the first time. So uh, I'm not sure about, you know, perfect scores each time, but I just appreciated that, like, yeah, let's get people in who have practiced these dunks yeah. and are not like, hang on, uh, what if I – uh, took the microphone from the mic stand <laughs> right. and then put it on the top and took it. Oh, hold up. Um, so, but all, all that, but, and then I will just say we ha- talk about how our uh, partners and spouses are good companions for us to sort of enjoy sports with, but also at times being like, what are you doing? So I didn't watch much of the All Star game. That was Sunday evening, and I had to show myself, hooray. But we got home in time to sort of, uh, oh, the fourth quarter, and turning on. And again, it is just like open three-pointer, uncontested layup or dunk. Uh, and I was just watching it for a few minutes, and my wife was like, what are you doing? Right. Why, why are you watching this? Like, this is not sport. Yeah. Um, this is just freestyle. Uh, and I was like, you are right. Let us watch a half-hour program together. Uh, but all that. So my, my one thing that I did take away, I'm a big Celtics fan, uh, and I do 
appreciated how good Jason Tatum is, but he had a weird, like, all right, I'm going to, as soon as I get the ball, shoot from wherever I am. And he hit most of them. Yeah. Um, but it was just, uh, he did it like off the backboard to himself. He was, he was just a little like, look at me. And for me, if I'm in that place, and I never will be, I'm like, this is Donovan Mitchell's moment. Donovan Mitchell is coming back to Utah, the, the city that sent him away. And when Donovan Mitchell touched the ball, he also hit ridiculously gorgeous three-pointers from you know a, a state and a half away. But I just was like, come on. Like I remember Isaiah Thomas was so great in the All-Star Games because he was amazing at assists. Right. He, he focused on, let me set up other players to do great plays, and that's how I'll be great. And Jason Tatum was just like, no, no, go away. I'm going to shoot. And I'm like, eh. Really? In a yeah. game where there's no defense? So that was my thing. It was like, yeah, you're awesome. I'm glad that you got to remind people you can hit shots from ridiculous places and angles. But I just thought, come on, Donovan Mitchell, you got to know what it is to like come back to the town that traded you or whatever. You know, Utah's a weird place for sports in general. Feed him. Let him have that night. You know, he needs that more than you do. Uh, I actually, the only real part of the All Star game that I. I caught, and that was in sort of highlights on Twitter after the fact, was um, because, yeah, the All-Star game pretty much has lost any meaning for me. So I'm not, I'm mostly like, okay, just is there anything cool that happened? Did somebody shoot anybody? You know, like I need (laughs) to get that level of things. But I did see that um, you mentioned Jason Tatum, uh, Boston Celtic, his, his, um, his teammate uh, on the Celtics, Jalen Brown, was actually yeah. on the other team since it was uh, sort of uh, Giannis and LeBron picking players. Yeah. So they, they're teammates uh, with their regular team, but going up against each other in this All-Star game. And there was a stretch where they kind of went one-on-one and kind of tried to match one another um, for each time. And that was actually really fun. And I was it like, was. that yes. that kind of wrinkle, like if there's... If there's a way, you don't want to script it, obviously, but that was really cool. I agree. Uh, that actually did happen in the fourth quarter stretch that I did get to watch. And then, yeah, I like that. Like, so while it for the long time was like East versus West or, you know, very conference based, we're going to do this captain's thing where you might have players on the same team compete against each other. Yeah, definitely highlight that. Focus on that, which they did. And they both did well. Uh, Jalen yeah. Brown had a couple fantastic plays with Tatum guarding, and then Tatum did eventually have a crazy step back three. Um, so yeah, hooray for that part uh, as it happened. Yeah. Uh, so we want, we've got just a couple of minutes left with you. Uh, one of the things you've also been um, sort of uh, reintroducing yourself with uh, professional football and college football going away is the <laughs> Champions League. So yes. that is, that is the uh, for listeners who don't know the sort of best of uh, club soccer um, from the different leagues throughout Europe, um, best of Spain, England, France. Uh, so you get to see uh, sort of the best of the best going up against one another. And uh, you got to see it with this Real Madrid-Liverpool game that happened just the other day. And then today, Man City and uh, Leipzig. That's um, right. That's right. Uh, yeah, you just reminded. So this is something we talked about. I'm not sure why it is, but we mainly watch Premier League. There is La Liga, the Spanish League. There is Bundesliga, the German League. And I just, for whatever reason, don't tend to watch those leagues on a week-to-week basis the way I do the Premier League. Right. So I sort of ha- hold the Premier League in very high regard. And the Champions League is there to remind you, as we saw in the final last year when uh, Real Madrid 
beat Liverpool. But like, yeah, there are some clubs. Again, maybe the uh, the week by week interplay is not as interesting, but in the other leagues that are really very good. Oh yeah. So yeah, on Tuesday, yeah. So we uh, which is great in the round of sixteen. So that's where we're in the knockout round now, where you play you know, a, a home and home and have an aggregate um, for a result. Um, but we have a rematch of the final last year with Liverpool and Real Madrid. And uh, so it is in Liverpool and through you, I, one of your friends, I am sort of Facebook friends with, and know that uh, she is at the game and having this week. It was <laughs> finally. So again, Liverpool in the first 14 minutes scores two goals. Right. Um, one was a gorgeous goal, just gorgeous with Salah feeding um one of the newer players for this great heel flick kind of thing. Um, and then the uh, uh, goalie for Real Madrid, um, Courtois, who was amazing in the final last year, having this weird, like, wait, uh, he gets stuck in my feet. And then Salah's like, I'll score. So, like, 14 minutes in, they're up to nothing. They're like, oh, she's having a great final day. <laughs> and then the rest of the game right. was Real Madrid <laughs> scoring five goals. Yeah, and uh, or four goals, maybe. but again, uh, it's, but it's just so interesting. You forget how good the the teams are in this Champions League. So yeah, you're like, oh, of course, yeah, Vinicius and and all these other players on on Real Madrid are very good as well. Yeah, and I think uh, sort of in defense of the English Premier League, you know, uh, the seventh best team or even the tenth best team in the Premier League is much much better than the seventh sure. or tenth best team in spain or france or germany uh because those leagues are just very top heavy yet at the top they're just so excellent and so that's what you got to see a little bit of and liverpool all but eliminated or or is there still a chance or are they out now i think it might have overquoted i think it was four two so you, you just never know i mean yep. um they clearly enjoyed an advantage in that first 15 20 minutes that they just seemed the better team maybe they can find that again next week and you just don't know that's i mean so we would have said last year a couple of times for real madrid like yeah they have no chance of you know yep. coming back in the second uh, part of the home and home and, and they did several times so uh, it's it's all possible and liverpool is a team that does seem to be sort of finding itself with new combinations of players and otherwise um so i don't know but uh wow uh you, you just uh, it's just so strange how the first 15, 20 minutes can be so different from the rest of the game. All right. Well, hey, Tom, thanks so much for calling in. I'll let you go yes. for the rest of your night. Uh, and happy sports watching. Thank you. Uh, my best to Justin. Um, thank you for, for joining us. And hello to all Yay Sports. That's great. Thanks, Tom. Bye, Scott. Okay, we are back here on Run That Back. Excited to be talking sports here um uh, like i said i'm flying solo here in the in the studio so uh this should be really fun um but helping me out with this uh we had this gentleman on at some point in the last year i can't remember when it was his name is justin mcguire he's a reporter with the mountain express covering all sorts of things but he has a particular passion for baseball uh, because he's got a whole nother life that's having to do with baseball. Justin, are you there? I'm here. Yeah. So uh, I I had that right, right? Like your day job is the Mountain Express, but baseball is is your real passion. Is that right? 
Yeah, I think that that's pretty accurate. I um, I, I you know I won't get, go into all of it again. But last year when I was on, we talked about the fact that I spent a few years as the Major League Baseball editor for the Sporting News. That's in Charlotte. right. Yes, and um, I do a podcast, which is unfortunately I don't get to do it as often as I'd like to. But a podcast where I talk to authors of baseball books, and yeah, uh, baseball and its history is, is one of the things that I really have spent way too much of my life thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and so. When you get the opportunity, I remember we talked about this last year, you you do your best to do, you know, cover the history of baseball with the Mountain Express. And you did so with a story um, for the Express um, last month in January, sort of about the history of baseball in Asheville, but specifically at McCormick Field. And, you know, we've been doing an ongoing series. Uh, we talked to Brian DeWine for the tourists. We talked to Kim Roney, uh, council member for Asheville City Council, um, about, uh, the sort of ongoing, um, you know, machinations about the future of McCormick Field. Uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But, you know, you really got to go really in-depth in terms of the history of McCormick Field. Uh, so was that you're like, aha, I finally get an opportunity to do this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I think I said this last year, too, but... You know, Mountain Express is a community newspaper, and we cover a lot of things, but we don't have a sports section. Right. Um, so we, we cover sports in the in you know in the ways that it affects the community. So we're not we're not going to have box scores. We're not going to have regular updates on the tourists or you know see actual basketball at that. But when there are community related stories to to sports, baseball, or any other sport, I really look for those opportunities. So I've, you know, I've written about high school football. And the way it affects, you know, some of these mountain communities. I've written about travel sports, and, and yeah, I look for any opportunity I can to write about baseball. <laughs> so when this latest news with the tourists, with the ownership saying, I think it was like in November, or so they said, yeah, this is going to be the last year here unless we get this thirty million dollars for upgrades to McCormick Field. It just sounded like, like a natural thing for me to say. All right, well, how can we talk about this without? You know, without me going into all the details of what's going on now, which people can read about here about other places, but what can I provide? And I thought the thing that I could provide was to look back at the history of of baseball in Asheville and particularly McCormick Field. And um, basically what I ended up doing is covering it from 1959 on. Yeah. That was sort of the, the period that I looked at because what, what, what you find is that the tourists – there was no minor league baseball team in Asheville in 1956, 57, and 58. Um, they, they had a team. They lost it. And then they brought a team back in 1959, an expansion team in the Sally League, the South Atlantic League. And every season since 1959, um, Asheville has had a minor league team. You know, not 2020, obviously, they didn't have minor league baseball. But right. every season that it's been played. So I thought that was a really good time, to, you know, a good starting point. Just to look at the history of, of Asheville minor league baseball since 1959, this continuous stake that we've had. And, you know, so, I look, yeah, I looked at the, the history of the various teams who've been here, the various um, things that have happened to those teams. And one of the things that I really found, the, the he headline in my story talked about the precarious history of baseball right. in Asheville. And the reason I used that word was because what I discovered is that What's happening now is nothing new. That, that, that yeah. every decade or so, there is a possibility of Asheville losing the tourists, and a lot of times it's because 
uh, McCormick Field isn't up to to cal- the caliber that the team wants it to be. Yeah, that's uh, that was fascinating as well. The other thing that I noticed that was kind of like a through line in your article, and I, I, maybe it was intentional, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but that, um, yes, within the context of the tourists saying, hey, we need this support, McCormick Field is owned by the city, we are a private company, but we want to keep baseball in Asheville for a sort of community experience, like the sort of solutions that have happened along the way, the stretch that you covered, there was always a sort of collaboration between the private sector and the public sector in order to sort of like allow baseball to continue in Asheville. So was that intentional on your part or, or did you know that going in or were you like, ah, this is what I'm finding. I gotta, I gotta highlight this. Um, a little of both actually. Yeah. I Mm. went into it with the idea when I talked to my editor about the story initially, you know, what he said was, yeah, let's look for, you know, other times in the history when they've had to go to the city or the county for money and see what happened then. Yes. So that was kind of my marching orders. And as I went into it, what I found is, yeah, there were several times, and, and I highlighted only a few of them, to be honest with you. There's others. Really? Um, I highlighted a few very key points in the history. And, yeah, like what, what we found is that the private sector – um, private investors of one sort or another stepped in several times, and the city or the county um, often came in and gave some money. But what what I found is that, with the exception of 91, uh, 92, when they basically rebuilt McCormick Field, the, the government has never made a huge investment hmm. in minor league baseball. With the exception of 1924, when they first built McCormick Field, they've never – really done much other than that one era of 91 92 and even then a lot of people i talked to feel like they kind of um they kind of cut some corners i guess you might say they right. didn't spend as much as they might have at that point and that's maybe one of the reasons we find ourselves in the situation we're at now well and 1992 is 30 years ago too and yeah, I, I don't think much has happened since then too so um yeah it they may have cut some corners then, but I, I think it, I think it's sort of universally agreed that it is time to do something with McCormick Field. We can talk about that a little bit later, but yeah, let's, let's keep talking about the history. Um, this is predating sort of the 1955 date that you said, but do you know who McCormick Field is named for? I, I, I don't know offhand. Maybe you do. Oh, that's a good question. I, I, I did come across that. When I was doing the story, but I'll be honest with you, I forget. Oh, it's okay. Um, it was it was some sort of local businessman type. Got it. Um, and one of the things that that I, that I discovered too is McCormick Field was built initially. The idea was that it would you know it would be a baseball field, but it was going to be a lot of other things too. You know, it was going to be the stadium for the city, and it just sort of by you know by chance became mostly a baseball field because baseball you know at that time was the prominent sport in the country there was a minor league team there were black teams there were right. uh, american legion teams or all sorts of teams playing baseball there and it sort of just by default became a baseball field it wasn't initially necessarily supposed to be just baseball yeah that was that was really interesting to read the other thing this is just kind of maybe a side item but i do love that 
you know, the tourist has primarily been the name of the baseball team that's occupied McCormick Field, but that's not always been the case. I mean, uh, there were the black teams, one of which was called the Asheville Black Tourists, but also the Asheville Blues. But then right. we also see the Moonshiners, which is uh, uh, the tourist current yeah, sort was, of alternate that name. The, that was the very first name of a professional team in Asheville. Yeah, the Moonshiners. But then there were a few others, the Asheville Ridge Runners and then the Asheville Orioles as well. Yeah, the Ridge Runners was fascinating because – well, that was when they were coming back in 1959. There was a story in the paper, the Asheville Citizen Times, and a story in the Sporting News as well, because I looked there, saying the new Asheville team is going to be called the Ridge Runners. But they never actually played as the Ridge Runners. Apparently what happened is the team decided they were going to call themselves that, and the people revolted. <laughs> people in the city said, no, we want to be the tourists. That's been the name of our team since 1915. So we want to, uh, we want to be called the tourists. So they never actually used that name. If I can editorialize just for a minute, I love the name, the moonshiners, and I can't stand the name, the tourists. I sort of like internally roll my eyes almost every single time. Um, but that's just my opinion. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but I do acknowledge and appreciate the history of that not quite continuous name, but the popularity of that name. Um, but I did like when you said when the, the sort of the tourist came back um, in 1955 that uh, you describe it as a fly by night operation. Why was that the case? Well, what I found was that they had been playing in a league called the Tri-State League mm -hmm. up till 1955. And I, I found one of the Asheville Citizen Times sports guys referred to that league as a fly-by-night operation. And that league fell apart, which is why we lost the tourists in the first place after the 1955 season. Um, so I think at that time, there were many, many more minor leagues than there are now. And some of them were operating in really small cities with really <laughs> subpar stadiums. And I think this was one of them. This was one of those leagues that just wasn't going to survive, and it didn't. Uh, and then uh, I know you're a Baltimore Orioles fan, and I want to ask you about the 2023 Baltimore Orioles a little bit later. But uh, you uh, – and I mentioned that – uh, for a little while, the the team was named the Asheville Orioles. But you had a, um, a a little snippet about some of the most famous, the most famous, I would say, arguably Baltimore Oriole uh, in history. Mr. Cal Ripken Jr. was here. Yeah, the the uh, Charlotte, I mean, sorry, Charlotte, the Asheville Orioles played from 1972 to 75, I think it was. And um, then they, they left after the 75 season. And we can talk about that in a minute if you want. But, yeah, they were an Orioles double-A uh, affiliate. And they ended up leaving to go to Charlotte and became the Charlotte O's. But, yeah, the manager for the first uh, three, three seasons they were here was Cal Ripken Sr. Wow. Who was a longtime Orioles uh, minor league manager and then coach. And, of course, his son, his oldest son, Cal Ripken Sr. I'm sorry, Cal Ripken Jr., was uh, a little league age kid at the time he was here in the early 70s. So what I, I just sort of, <clears throat> on a whim, decided to look in the actual Citizen Times archives for the name Cal Ripken Jr., and I found several references to it, um, 
where he was a little league player, and at the time they were running like little sort of summaries of what happened in the little leagues in the in the week, and they would give you know players who did who did something um, extraordinary, and he got mentioned several times. He was a star pitcher and infielder for um, the team Matthews Ford team in the West Asheville Little League. Wow. So for like a couple of seasons, he was, he was his name was in the paper a bunch of times. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, there's that old. Um... There's that old baseball diamond um, at the end of Vermont Avenue here in West Asheville. I wonder if Mr. Cal Ripken Jr. played there. Um, he very well may have. Yeah. yeah. Um, what surprised you the most in researching this article? Um, I think the thing that surprised me the most is just the thing I've already talked on or touched on a little bit, which is just how precarious their their mm. existence here has been yeah. and i think i was also and maybe i was naive but i think i was also a little bit surprised to find out just how little respect there is for mccormick field in the world of professional baseball yeah i had one guy uh who, who has written a bunch of books about uh, Asheville baseball and he has some connections and he said that it's you know it's it's the worst kept secret in in, in the professional baseball that it's considered a dump. Oh, uh, wow. I always thought Asher, I thought McCormick Field you know had all this history. It's kind of charming, you know. It's in the mountains. It's, but now people just look at look at all the things it doesn't have. <laughs> oh no! And, yeah, and and say that yeah, this is not up to par. And in what happened, and, and again, I won't won't get into too much detail of this, but we talked about '92 when they made those changes and sort of yeah. rebuilt the stadium. What happened immediately after that, in that season, 92, was when Camden Yards opened. And right after that, all the major league teams had to have these retro ballparks. And then that went down to the minor leagues as well. So almost immediately, um, McCormick Field was obsolete in terms of what other minor league teams had. And if you looked at where the uh, Greenville Drive plays down Mm -hmm. in Greenville, South Carolina – it's night and day when you go to that stadium. It has all the modern amenities. It has great sight lines. It has uh, luxury boxes. All the stuff McCormick Field doesn't have. So they kind of got stuck to timing-wise where they made those changes right at the wrong time. Mm. <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> all right. It is just after – let's see. Let me pull this up. Do, 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 do. Yes, it is just after 7.30 p.m. and – like Asheville FM likes to do the local um, music calendar here uh, happening in Asheville. Asheville, run that back, likes to do the local sports calendar. So here is Fran Murphy with that. I'm Fran Murphy, and this is your February 22nd local sports calendar. Carolina Hurricanes defeated the St. Louis Blues by a score of 4 to 1 yesterday. The Hurricanes are now 38, 10 and 8 and their next game will be played on Friday against the Ottawa Senators. AC Reynolds High School basketball defeated West Forsyth by a score of 63 to 58 yesterday in the first round of state playoffs. Reynolds' second round matchup will take place at home tomorrow against Sun Valley. NC State basketball defeated UNC last Saturday by a score of 77 to 69. NC State is now 21 and 7 and their next game will be played later tonight against Wake Forest. Speaking of Wake Forest, the Demon Deacons baseball team defeated UNC Greensboro yesterday by a score of 20-2. Wake Forest is now ranked 6th in the nation with a 5-0 record and their next game will be played on Friday against Mount St. Mary's. Lastly, UNC Asheville basketball defeated Gardner-Webb over the weekend en route to extending their current win streak to four games. UNCA is now 22-7 and they are currently facing off against Charleston Southern. Back to you, Tom and Scott. Thank you, Fran. Always great to hear Fran Murphy's voice 
uh, talking about the local sports calendar, and also love hearing all that uh, Wake Forest update uh, as as an alum. I like to hear it. All right. We're talking uh, with Justin McGuire on the phone about McCormick Field, uh, the baseball stadium here in Asheville. So, Justin, you talked about um, how people went on the record or in background to you calling McCormick Field a dump. And um, so I I don't think the tourists are officially saying that, uh, but they are saying it's time um, for McCormick Field to get a significant upgrade as you mentioned earlier they're asking for 30 million dollars in improvement to mccormick field it's based on a new standard that was set by major league baseball uh requiring all minor league baseball parks to get up to the this sort of standard if not they will have to find new stadiums and so the tourists are saying yeah it's time to do an investment so they're calling on this uh public dollars from the city uh, as well as the county, the TDA, the state, anybody really to uh, to chime in on this. You know, we um, we talked to Councilmember Kim Roney about options a few weeks ago. We talked with Brian DeWine um, uh, as well, and we know that the city is uh, sort of considering their options right now. So, um, yeah, Justin, interested to know, like just in your reporting or just even what you've been hearing around town what's the kind of what's the kind of buzz like are people like hell no we shouldn't be paying for this like the, if the tourists want a better stadium they should pay for it themselves or is it like this is the one thing we kind of care about is you know city money going towards our baseball stadium so what any or is it a mix so what are what are you kind yeah, of yeah. hearing well, it's interesting. When I wrote my story, um, we got a barrage of comments on the story online, as you can imagine, just on, on that very question of should the city, should the government paying $30 million? And, of course, there are a lot of voices who are saying, like you said, hell no, we shouldn't be paying for it. Asheville has so many needs right now, right. You know, affordable housing, homelessness, all sorts of uh, things going on. Why pay thirty million dollars for a uh, stadium for a private company that's owned by a you know a extremely rich family? Right. And so yeah, there's a lot of people saying that, and there are some who are saying, yeah, it's a lot of money, but the tourists are our team, and I have great memories of going there, and I take my kids there, and it's it's one of the you know it's affordable family entertainment. So I'm hearing yeah, there's definitely a mix of it. Although I would say. Probably I'm hearing more people saying, while we'd like to keep the tourists, we don't think it makes sense for you know, <laughs> for Asheville to be paying that kind of money for it. You you also do write for the Mountain Express, which is a little bit more, uh, I would say, on the liberal side of politics, I think it's fair to say. So, you know, maybe some of that yeah, is Yeah, I think our, our audience may not be representative, that's for sure. <laughs> yes. And, um it's not, like I said, it's not necessarily a sports-oriented audience either. So uh, I don't know that it's representative, but it's certainly representative of, of, of people in the community who do care about these things. And, yeah, so I don't, I don't know ultimately. I think the argument that, you know, this is a private company, why are we asking taxpayers to pay for it is, is one that I'm sympathetic to. And yeah. I understand. And it's, you know, I think a lot of us are sick and tired of right. in every sport, you know, ponying up these huge outlays to pay for billionaires to have um, stadiums. On the other hand, you know, the city does own the stadium. Right. So ultimately, 
they are the ones who are responsible for upkeep. And if they want a minor league team, this is the price of admission at this point. That's right. Um, you know, when we talked with Kim Roney a few weeks ago, you know, she's a good politician. She's not going to show her hand. Uh, but I really like the she tried to reframe the conversation uh, that connects in with something that you talk about um, in the story and mentioned here earlier. She wants to um, sort of explore how McCormick Field could be become a multi-use facility. Let's like it's an asset of the city, so let's use it for more than baseball. You know, Kim is a giant baseball fan she too is a fan of the baltimore orioles like you so um she her heart is with baseball but she could not stop talking about here are all the other things that this um this facility could be used as and for me i found that very encouraging and seemed to be a way like this is the, we need to think about this more holistically. So I, I like to how that connects in with with your research on the history of the field too. Yeah, it's interesting. I talked to her for the story as well, and she's you know said some of the same things to me. I do think it's a rather intriguing idea to try to find other uses for it: concerts, you know, beer festivals. I don't know what. There's a lot right. of things that are done with other minor league stadiums, other places. I know I lived in Charlotte for a long time. They do, um, especially early in the season, they do a bunch of college baseball games there where they have like, they, you know, mm-hmm. have, like UNC Charlotte play somebody or they'll have one year I watched North Carolina play South Carolina there. There's all sorts of possibilities like that because, like you said, the stadium sits empty most of the time, right? Yeah. <laughs> like they're, not, they're not playing. So, yeah, I think that's interesting. But, yeah, the, the most interesting use of the stadium that I found in my history in my reporting, and unfortunately I had to cut most of this. Oh, yeah, give us a nugget. Space, was in 1956, 57, and 58, they actually turned the stadium into a NASCAR uh, oh yeah and they had stock car races there including one at, that is still counts at nascar records as one of the, you know, the highest level races wow uh, so that was what mccord fields was used for in the mid 50s and i don't think they're going to go back to that but certainly <laughs> yeah there's a lot of things you could do with that space when they're not playing baseball there i would think yeah you can go back into our archives on our podcast feed to find our conversation with kim uh, the other thing that she kind of touched on was that it is a city facility but uh part of the deal that the tourists said was that they would be responsible for the upkeep of the facility and she said one of the things we have to consider is yeah if minor league baseball leaves Asheville there's not the tourists playing there who's uh, then the city will start to incur those expenses that they haven't had to do and I again I thought that that was a sort of like holistic look at the sort of pros and cons of you know how how and why should we invest in this facility yeah absolutely I mean there's no doubt that having a team there benefits the facility itself uh, because without that, I mean, then suddenly you have, it's not just empty a lot of the time. It's empty all the time. <laughs> you yeah. have to try to find things to do with it. Like I said, yeah, and then the city is solely responsible for the upkeep and security and everything else. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it'll be interesting to see. I think 
from what I'm hearing and what I'm, you know, you know, I think what you're hearing too is I think there is a willingness on the part of the city to work with the tourists to try to find a solution that will, will have these changes made but not have the city be on the hook for, you know, a, a in, you know, an inordinate amount of money. And like you said, things like, finding ways to to use the facility for other reasons for other ways bring it in income other ways i think that's definitely going to be part of it i think uh that right now the tourists i think they pay one dollar a year in yes. rent or something like that yes. i think there's there they are there is some talk that they are willing to go to a more reasonable number to kind of offset some of the costs the city would have so i think there's going to have to be definitely some compromises on both sides if this is going to work yeah and right now um you know the tourists are being very aggressive. They're hoping to um, to have things in place by April 1st, and the clock is certainly ticking on that. Uh, Justin, really quickly, uh, I know you're a Baltimore Orioles fan. Um, so looking at 2023 season, the Orioles are going through a, a, a rough period here. I don't know how, how far back this goes, but this past season – you finished above 500, you, like you're on the Orioles. So the Orioles finished 83 and 79, uh, still 16 games back from first place in the AL East. So how are you feeling about this upcoming season? Well, in two years ago, they lost 110 games. Yes. <laughs> so an 83-win season was a very pleasant surprise. I was not expecting it. I don't think anybody was expecting it, including the management of the Orioles. Yeah. And it was great. So it was a lot. It was actually fun to watch baseball last year. They had a 10-game winning streak at one point. They had an um, exciting young player, Adley Rutschman. Who oh, yeah. was right there. And, uh, you know, and had he started the season uh, at the beginning in April instead of coming in at the end of May, I think he very well might have won rookie of the year. And um, so, yeah, it's an exciting team. In terms of there's uh, Rutschman, and they have a bunch of young players. The farm system is one of high, is ranked number one or two by everybody. So I, I'm cautiously optimistic about this year. I think nice. I, I, I think they could be good again. I do wish they had done a little more in the off season to supplement some of this young talent with some more established talent, which is I think the ultimately going to be the key. They're going to have to at some point start spending money again. Right. But right now, I'm you know it's there's a lot of exciting players to watch on the Orioles. If nothing else, there's some guys who are going to be fun to watch, like Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, Grayson Rodriguez. Um, so I'm excited in that sense for sure. That's great. Hey, Justin, thanks so much for calling in. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, keep us posted. Keep keep writing about baseball for the Mountain Express. Um, and uh, we'll have you back on if if we've got some other big news to talk about. Yeah, anytime. Just let me just let me know. And uh, where can people find your work with the Mountain Express? Well, yeah, we're we're at mountainx.com uh, is the website, and if you just go in there and look for my name, you'll find all my my stories, including this latest one. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter at jmcguiremlb. That's right. I was going to say you're a really fun follow on Twitter. So yeah, um, I, I I can I can I can endorse that. Hey, Justin, thanks again so much. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, thank you. I talked to Tom a little bit at the beginning of the program about the NBA and about the All Star Game. And again, I'm not a big All Star Game guy, really, in any sport. We've uh, laughed about the Pro Bowl in the past. Uh, 
yeah, the hockey all-star game, nah, not really. Basketball, it's it's barely even watchable. Uh, the one that comes closest is baseball because uh, there's an ability to play that game without going insane. Like, you know, football, you need to really uh, reach a certain emotional point. Whereas baseball... Um, it does. Uh, you can have a game that that feels like baseball, whereas the stakes are still high, but they're not life or death. Um, and I guess no baseball isn't ever really life or death. But you know, you know what I'm saying. When it comes to October time or even August, you know, the games get really tense. That's why we've been talking about this. That's why people want to invest in McCormick Field because people love baseball. But going back to the NBA, which is what we talked about a little bit, uh, you know, you might have heard me sort of him and haw when you know Tom was saying that Mac McGlung, you know, saved the slam dunk contest. I don't know. Like, I hate. I'm never that guy to say things were better when I was younger. But the slam dunk contest was better when I was younger. I mean, you had the best players in the in the league doing the slam dunk contest. Michael Jordan, Dominique Wilkins. You know, they were. It was just great. So, Dr. J. You know, uh, going even further back. So it's really hard. It, it's just kind of apples and oranges. They're just not the same kind of competition. Uh, but the NBA, as Tom said there's not a whole lot of time left um in the season so we're really coming down the stretch and there are a lot of big questions that i've uh i've outlined you know attrition is really the biggest thing i think really in all sports like the healthiest team usually wins i mean the most talented team usually wins but that's not always the case so you know a big thing injury wise that we need to watch out for you know steph curry and Giannis are both out right now can they come back in time and regain form um in time for the playoffs how about kevin durant he just got traded to the phoenix suns uh he was playing so well with the brooklyn nets before he got injured and before he got traded to the suns and so now he's got to come back to a new team with chris paul devin booker but and a new city like he's a new employee just transferring to a new branch so he's gotta uh settle into this new community and he's got to figure out how to be the best kevin durant he can be but He's also Kevin Durant. He's so good. He can play with really anybody, but it's a question. Another question, Kawhi Leonard. He was so hot right before the All-Star game, really rounding into form. Kawhi Leonard, at his best, is one of the best players in the NBA. But again, he's been injured and doing a lot of things, like sort of saving himself for the playoffs. So is he able to stay hot? Is he able to stay on the court? Um, after the after the All Star break, uh, Philadelphia 76ers. It's unfair with Joel Embiid to keep asking about injuries because he has kept himself really injury free over the last couple of years. But can he stay healthy? Um, last year, the Boston Celtics, Tom's favorite team, young team, got to the NBA Finals, uh, but they seem to wear wear down in the finals. Are they going to wear down again? Can they keep it up this year? What about the Memphis Grizzlies? Can they regain their early season form? What about Kyrie Irving? I don't want to talk about Kyrie Irving, but he's on the Dallas Mavericks right now with one of the great young players in the game, Luka Doncic. Is he able to not 
be this guy again i don't want to talk about Kyrie, and then the denver nuggets nobody's really talking about them i don't really have any questions about them but they just float under the radar and we're looking at nikolai jokic who might be getting a back-to-back-to-back mvp um award again this year so lots of questions by the way did you notice that i didn't mention the los angeles lakers i will not talk about the los angeles lakers Thanks for listening to Run That Back. We'll see you next week.